So, Berto, I'm going to ask you a really deep question, a very important question at the start of the episode right now. Okay. Are you happy? Ah, am I happy? Yes. Okay, let's get into the nuances of that. Okay. And also look at all the research. We can take some quizzes to actually mm. determine if you are right, if, if you are, in fact, happy. What do you say? Let's do that. Let's do it. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I am Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. Who are you? My name is Humberto Castaneda, and I'm a tarantula wasp trainer. So part of the reason why I decided to do this episode is because I came across some new research that was going around. We'll start with a tougher bluff. Okay. The more you earn, the happier you, you are, the happy, happier you are, but the happiness plateaus at $90,000 income for an individual. Uh, yeah, I feel like I've heard that, so I'm going to go tough. I don't know if it's the if the plateau nowadays might be, have to be higher because everything's more expensive, but I'm going to go tough. It's bluff. Oh. Like, that was the consensus that mm -hmm. around 70, 80, 90,000 a year that your happiness would plateau. Right. And this would often be bandied about as evidence that beyond a certain threshold of income, you're not benefiting anymore. Right. You're you're just taking money away from other people potentially being happy, meaning that you need a certain base level of security, a base right. level of not living paycheck to paycheck, that kind of thing. But new data shows that well-being continues to increase throughout the different <laughs> okay. categories of, of income. Not only your evaluative well-being is what they call it, meaning that someone's perception of their own life upon reflection, mm -hmm. like how how happy are you given your entire life but also experience well-being which is a person's mood like how how are you you know I see. so if i were to ask you berto on a scale from i don't know 1 to 5 with 5 being like the highest 1 being the lowest how would you rate your well-being right now a 3 and then uh what about your mood like in terms of right at this minute how you feel a 4 Okay. And a three, huh? Well, if well-being, like, because well-being includes, like, health, too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, whatever you consider to be part yeah. of your well-being, whatever yes. contributes to your well-being. Right. So it's being dragged down by, by, your, health. by yeah. health issues yeah. with your thyroid issue. Yeah, yeah. basically. And, and so if you, that's why if you ask me, like, you know, are you happy? I'm like, yeah. But then if we get into the nitty-gritty, say, like, well, I mean, you know, I have struggles with health and things like that. But then if you ask me what my mood is, well, I'm generally more positive than not. So I, you know, I'd go like four. <laughs> right, interesting. Okay. So let's take one of the quizzes here. There are a variety of happiness tests free on the internet. This first one is on Oprah.com. Oh, nice. I don't know how reliable it is, but let's get into it. it it's shorter. So I, I, I picked quizzes that were on the shorter side. All for. Right. Does Oprah Podcast. still have a show? I don't think so. Mm -hmm. Number one. So let's take it for you first, and then I'll take it for me okay. after. I believe my life will truly begin, and you at home listening can also maybe play along. You won't know your code, but you might get a general idea of where you're at. So on a scale from never, infrequently, sometimes frequently. So okay. that is the scale. There's no always. So never, infrequently, sometimes, and frequently. frequently. I believe my life will truly begin when the right person or circumstances come along. Infrequently. That's, what's the lowest one? Infrequently. Never. Oh, there is a never. Yeah. Okay. There's not an always, but there is a never. Yeah. So, never. 
so that question is trying to get at your current level of happiness, meaning that if you're pretty unhappy, one of the signs could be that you're waiting, waiting for this for right perfect person or the perfect job or something to come along. And you're saying that, no, you're not right. sitting there waiting for something. I'm not waiting for Guffman. Or you've already achieved those things that you were waiting for. Right. But, yeah. But even before, well, I was so young. But yeah, no, in general, I would say, no, I'm not waiting for someone. Number two, I feel best when I give unconditionally to others. Frequently, sometimes, infrequently, never. Frequently. I feel best when I give unconditionally to others. That's an interesting question because if you're never or infrequent, then what is that getting at? That's either getting at the fact that you don't have a lot to give, <laughs> you Could know, be, yeah. and so it would get at the fact that you're unhappy because you don't have a lot to give, or that what you're in a sort of selfish mindset because you're not getting enough in life that kind of thing yeah. is that is i mean that? if you have a lot of struggles for of whatever nature financial or otherwise you might not have the bandwidth to, to right. give. yeah number three when i think about people in my life i focus on those who have hurt or disappointed me when i think about people in my life i focus on mm -hmm. those who have hurt or disappointed me no oh yeah sorry uh infrequently okay when i think about people in my life i focus on those i care about and love frequently there is not enough time for taking care of me there's not enough time oh. for taking care of, of me. me oh i yeah. see like you know i'm so busy i haven't been able to do blah you know this is something that in in years prior like when i started therapy this would have been a frequently mm -hmm. like, that was literally one of the themes Nowadays, I'd go more like infrequently. Infrequently. Yeah. Hmm. I've held to myself through difficult times with a strong, positive attitude. Frequently. I take myself very, very seriously. Ooh, what uh, is that question trying to get at? I uh, take myself very, very... I mean, is that like a narcissistic thing or just like I'm very focused on trying to make my life better or something? I'll just say sometimes. <laughs> That's a weird question. Come on, Oprah.com. I can sometimes be very, very narcissistic. <laughs> I believe it's up to me to live my life fully and find meaning. Frequently. When things don't go well, I feel trapped or overwhelmed. Infrequently. Although life circumstances change, my beliefs and capabilities will allow me to survive and thrive. Uh, yeah, frequently. Who wouldn't rather receive a gift than give one? Who wouldn't rather receive a gift than give one? No. Uh, at least infrequently. And yeah, this is stupid because the rubric is on frequency. Yeah. And this question is more of, do you agree with it or yeah, not? Yeah. It's a, this is, this is a very bad <laughs> psychometric. So what do you say? Infrequently. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to say I never feel that way. but <laughs> There is a spiritual power that I can turn to for comfort when I need to. Uh, infrequently. What do you mean? I mean, you're atheist, right? So. No, but I mean, it depends how you define spiritual. Like, I still believe that I am, that there, I have faith that I am supposed to do things in a certain way in this universe. And so that is spiritual in a way. What do you mean? Like that there's order to the chaos? Well, so I, I believe that no matter what you believe, Faith is a requirement while you're ascension being in this universe because you can't have proof about everything or almost nothing, in fact. So you, you need to operate on faith. So And then as far as me, I put faith on like I believe without proof that I need to 
aim towards creation and fostering instead of destruction and and mayhem and maiming and stuff. So that I take on faith. And so I do think of myself as having a role to play in the universe. And that is, you know, you can characterize that as a spiritual destiny that I believe. Is there a consequence if you do good or do bad? Yeah, it is uh, the nature of the, the vector of evolution of the universe. I can either help push in that direction or I can be part of the lost the little lost tendrils that never went anywhere. But the universe is completely indifferent to the... That's right. That's why it's up to me to participate or not. Yeah. yeah. But, but you know, it's basically, if you don't participate, you've also made a decision. You're mm-hmm. like, I won't be one of the tendrils that make it very far. Yeah. So it's shown research that when one has a higher purpose and also people who are religious tend to be happier. Right. So, you know. I mean, the, the, the basic thing is I am not a nihilist and I do have faith in a purpose. I just don't have faith in a specific denomination of a religion. Mm-hmm. So, Number 13, life is a big joke and I am in the middle of it. Again, the metric Never. is terrible. Um, Fear keeps me from standing up for what I believe is right. Never. I'm. Well, I would say infrequently. infrequently. Let's say infrequently. I've grown emotionally, spiritually through difficult and painful life experiences. Yeah, frequently. If again, frequently <laughs> doesn't make any sense. If I don't have any money or love, then I can't feel secure. Well, if I really didn't have any love or any money, <laughs> I don't know if I would feel secure. So what's the middle one? Sometimes? Or infrequently, yeah. Yeah, I'll I'll go sometimes. I make taking care of my health a priority. Yeah, frequently. (laughs) People hurt my feelings. Some, uh, infrequently, infrequently. Life is good. I really appreciate what I have. Frequently. I'm unclear about the purpose and meaning of my life. Sometimes. Sometimes? Or, yeah, sometimes. Huh. So that's, you know, that's a lot. That's more than I thought you'd say. Yeah. So you're sometimes unclear about the purpose and meaning of your meaning well, yeah, that there's uncertainty. There's yeah. No, see, some belief systems give you like one simple rule. All you have to do is believe this one little thing and state that you believe it, and you're done. Everything else you do doesn't matter. In my belief system, I'm not entirely sure how to achieve my purpose. So I am frequent, or I am sometimes unsure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. What matters most is enjoying relationships and moments. Yes, frequently. I just have too much to do. Sometimes. I feel fulfilled. Ooh, sometimes. <laughs> All right, submitting. Okay. Da, 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 da. So given the nature of the questions, where do you think you're at? I would, uh, like if it was a scale of one to five, it might be a, f- uh, and five is like, you're very happy and one is you're very not happy. I might go like four. Yeah. Well, I don't know. They don't give us the scale, but your score is 60. And if you're between 50 and 72, you consider yourself a happy person. So I don't know. Relatively happy. Pretty bad metric, honestly, (laughs) because they don't give, it's like, is there a possibility of getting higher than 72? Um, Mm -hmm. Let's see. I'm guessing not. See how many questions were there? There were, there were 23. So yeah, 72 is the highest score. Okay. So you got just 12 less than the highest score. Yeah. Okay. Okay. 
All right, let's do another test. This one's a little shorter, and it's on Psychom.net, which is a website that has a lot of different, a lot of different psychometric messages. Reminds me of XCOM. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I love that game. The first version, XCOM, or or it's actually two. The second one. Um, Okay, number one. By the way, I would have answered very similar to you on that Oprah test, so I won't redo it just for me. Number one, I feel that so. This is this is always. So you got always, often, sometimes, rarely, never. Okay, so almost the same, except there's an always. Yeah, always, often, sometimes, rarely, never. Okay, I feel that life is very rewarding. Often, I am able to find the goodness in myself and others. Often. Oh, what do you mean? Like sometimes it's hard to find the goodness in yourself and others. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yes. Definitely. I mean, uh, like general humans. Well, no, even specifically me and others like that I know. Like, there's definitely been times where I'm like, wow, I did a really crappy thing. I can't believe it. Mm. And I know people that I love that sometimes it's, they do really not good things. And it's, yeah. You know, so I guess I, that's why I couldn't say always. Right. Number three, I am optimistic about the future. Well, so that's interesting because that second question could get out a lot of things, right? Because as you talk about your life, and I, I know I don't know what you were thinking of when you were thinking of specific people, but I know that there are people in your personal life and in your family life who have wronged you in some pretty major ways, right. past and present. Thus, when you ask the question, I'm able to find the goodness in other people. You know, sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> sometimes like often, yeah. But, yeah, but, but often. There, there are occasions. Often. Whereas for me, I have the privilege of having a pretty good luck of the draw in life and don't have people in my life or in my family that are like that. And so for me, I would say it's really easy. I would say always for me, because there's really not opportunities. I'm well, I guess there are people I've worked with that were, you know, colleagues of mine that were, but it's pretty rare. And especially now, because I can engineer my life so specifically. And that's why I would go often, not always. I would just like inch it back from always because of that. Yeah. And happiness is circumstantial. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. So I think it's getting at that. I am optimistic about the future. Often. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? I, I, I am optimistic. I am an optimist. And it gets harder and harder as time goes by because uh, I think two phenomena. One, more things happen uh, that seem to be out of our control. And that, I think, is just the nature of this universe. And two, I get older, and then you also feel like you have less control. Mm-hmm. You know, even though I have, obviously, I am more in control of finances or, you know, my own decisions and things. At the same time, like, I have less control over what's going to happen to me and my health and my future. And um, maybe control is not the right word, but whatever. And so, as a result, yeah, I'd say it's not, uh, it's not an always. Mm-hmm. <laughs> By the way, you don't use reading glasses, or do you? I do. Oh, you do? Oh, well, not reading glasses. I actually can read better without either contacts or glasses. Yeah. But I use contacts and glasses for distance. For distance. Yeah. And when you wear those, you don't need reading glasses to read? Not yet, but I probably will. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm getting to that point where it's not looking good for my eyes. <laughs> that the, the, I evaded it for a long time. Like yeah. in my mid 40s, everyone around me was starting with reading glasses, yeah. and I was like, "I'm fine." You're fine. And, and then I had this delusion that somehow it, I would always be fine. <laughs> but yeah, it's yeah. starting to catch up with me, and it's annoying because it's not just 
reading, but it's also distance. Like the mm-hmm. the range of what right. is non blurry is mm-hmm. is shrinking. You know, right. I take pleasure I in everyday activities. Often, often, yeah. I feel joy from moment to moment. Often. <laughs> I have a sense of meaning and purpose in my life. Often. I have a lot of energy. <laughs> Often. <laughs> yeah. I feel best when I'm giving to others. Often. I can find the good even in a difficult situation. Often. It's interesting because, and of course, the test isn't necessarily giving us how they came up with these questions, but it, I think it measures at least two different things, these kinds of questions. You know, I find the good even in a difficult situation. That measures both privilege and mindset, right? Yeah. There is a thing called resilience and also right. just your own narrative, your own choices. Um, there are people who are more open to experience, who are just generally less neurotic, less scared and angry and upset. And so... There are right. personality traits that are different. There are different approaches. You know, peop- there are some people who had pretty bad uh, circumstances and yet are resilient and optimistic. It, it, why does that happen? It's hard to know. Yeah. But, you know, a question like that, it's like, you know, I, f- I can find the good even in a dif- difficult situation. Like for me, I can say, yeah, often, if not always, because... I don't know, my life has always been pretty good. But maybe my life has always been pretty good because that's just how I look at it. (laughs) Or I take life by the horns and actually direct it in the direction that I needed to go. Now, undoubtedly, I've experienced a tremendous amount of luck. You just just being born in Seattle. And so it's a a measure of that privilege and that luck, but also of optimism, you know, which I've always been. I, I remember when I was young, I recognized that, I was different from uh, some other people in that when I thought about my life, if there was like a a, cur- a, a bell curve of like, or a graph, a, you know, XY graph of time versus quality of life, the, the line was always going up, mm. which is kind of impossible because if you have a, an amazing year when you're 12 years old, for example, <laughs> and you go, but then I turned 13 and then it was amazing. And then I turned 14 and it was even more amazing. And it's like, well, maybe I just, that's just how I narrativize (laughs) my life. But I remember really noticing that not everyone saw it that way. See, for for, for me, it's a mix because like a mix of what you were saying of, I mean, I had some really bad, unfortunate situations. And I think the people around me, especially my dad, but also other relatives, helped me see the good in things, which gave me tools for them. I became someone, either a combination of genetics and that, that I I can see the good even in, in bad situations. And I'm lucky in that sense that I've been able to, to have that outlook. Mm-hmm. But also, I've also been very blessed. In spite of all the bad things that did happen to me, I've also had a ridiculous amount of good things that have happened to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there could be a kid who grew up on your street who experienced very similar circumstances, but for whatever reason went down a personality path that led to a locus of control not being within themselves, where they felt just a a leaf in the wind and a consequence of their circumstances and had no control. Whereas my impression of you is that you, even as a child, felt like you were were driving the bus. (laughs) Yeah, a little too much. (laughs) Number 10, I welcome and accept my feelings throughout any given day. I welcome. Yeah, always. Always. I actively keep in touch with friends and family. Oh, man, that one's hard. I mean, I do, but it's definitely not always. Uh, Is it often? I would say sometimes. (laughs) 
When things are tough, I reach out for support. <laughs> Sometimes. We've talked about this. I've, I've, I'm getting better about it. But. Yeah. So that's an interesting one because if you are avoidant, yeah. like you and me, Birdo, in that direction, uh, attachment-wise, meaning that path, we have path, pathological independence tendencies, then when things are tough, you tend not to reach out for support. And avoidant individuals will report more happiness and more optimism than others <laughs> because they're not really aware. They're not really uh, thinking about things because they're uh, cut off from their emotions. Oh, you know, sort geez. of like how you were in the beginning of therapy. Right. If your therapist had asked you how you doing, you'd be I, like... I, I was happy. Yeah, you'd be happy. like, everything's fine, but everything was not fine. You know what I mean? And that's still true. I mean, yeah, it's just... I guess it's at different levels. Yeah. It's a, it's a difference between, oh, wow, I'm actually literally depressed versus like, okay, yeah, maybe I still don't always acknowledge my, my needs and my emotions. Right. So self-reported happiness, even when you're taking a test like this, I suppose you'd have to ask questions like how often, I mean, really a question that I would, if I were to ask someone, I was trying to gauge their general happiness level, I would ask them, how often are you sad, hurt, or scared and afraid and tell other people about it. Mm -hmm. Because if they're like, oh, never. Oh, that's, yeah. And they think they're telling me how happy they are. Right. But that would sound like a lot of unmet needs because yeah. your life will always have a lot of pain and a lot of fear. Right. Uh, and that, I, I think I used, I would have said never back when. Right. And now I can only say sometimes. <laughs> yeah, right. I feel grateful for what I have. Uh, always. Yeah. Always. I let go of past disappointments or hurts. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> okay. So let's, sub I, let's submit. Yeah. Oh, is that it? Okay. What, where, where do you think you're at given these I feel like I didn't do as high on this one. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, if it was from zero to a hundred, I'd maybe put myself at, well, it's still 60, but, oh, but the other one was up to 72. So I'd say like 70 out of a hundred. They say that you are happier than average. Oh, You're yeah. above average. Yeah. Let's take a break, and when we get back, let's go over some research. What do you say, Berto? Let's do it. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country community safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. All right, we're back from the break. Let's do an OPP, Berto. What do you say? OPP. So these people became patrons all the way back in 2020 and have stayed patrons through thick and thin. Mm, nice. We have Elizabeth from God Knows Where. We have Holiday in Missoula, upper tier patron. Cool. We have Moni Mond 
from Deutschland, I believe. Nice. We have Brianna from New York. We have Kat from Maryland. We have Hilaria, from, uh, annual patron, Hilaria from God Knows Where. Andre from Quebec. Oh. Zulima from God Knows Where. Tibay from God Knows Where. Kelly from God Knows Where. Steen from God Knows Where. Victoria from God Knows Where. Lots of God Knows Where. Up at your patron, <laughs> Threat Level Midnight. Ooh, I've seen those comments. From, I've seen comments from that. From Missouri. Nice. I think that's a reference to a movie. Yeah, it must be. Like a like a spoof movie or something. Threat level Midnight. We have Lane from Tempe, Arizona. Chandra from Scottsdale, Arizona. Maybe they know each other. Margie from Kansas. Good old mm. Kansas, which is where my mom's from. Thomas from Phoenix, Arizona. Another Arizona. We have Zayu from Saskatchewan. Oh. Saskatoon. We have Angie from Michigan, I believe. And Chris from BC, Canada. Nice. We have Camille from London, or see, Kimmy, Kimmy from London. And Aaron from Luxembourg, Luxembourg. <laughs> nice. Caleb from Florida. Tiffany from Minnesota. And Madeline from Greensboro, North Carolina. All Thank right. you so much for being a patron and staying a patron through thick and thin. Seriously. So let's look at some more research. Tougher bluff, Berto. Spending money on a time-saving purchase, like paying for a tax accountant or buying nice containers to organize things hmm. or ordering Grubhub, makes us happier than spending money on material things like new clothes and a new car. Tough or bluff? Well, I'm going to go tough in general, but you know, you really got to double click on the details there because I've, I've been very happy from some material purchases, but I would say overall, I'm going to go tough. I've noticed you started saying this phrase, double clicking on things. Yeah. Is that some weird corporate BS speech that <laughs> is emerging out of your weird world? Well, so what happens is... This is this the new synergy of 2023? So, okay, so as you know, tarantula wasps are extremely dangerous animals. And so we have to have certain language when we're describing how we handle them. You have to double click the jar to make sure it's sealed properly. That's where the terminology comes from. I don't know if I like it. Plus, I don't even understand the meaning of it. Because, like, you know, you have the, 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 the lid, right? So you go click. Oh, oh by the way, so it was tough. Uh, you were right. Okay. These results suggest that using money to buy time can protect people from detrimental effects of time pressure on life satisfaction. Yeah. So that's interesting because when you think about you know, some of the questions on the, on the quizzes are, were along those lines. That's true. And when I think about for myself, you know, and I've talked about it ad nauseum, so I won't go into detail again. But I've been feeling a lot of time pressure lately. Yeah. Like like <laughs> things that are just, you would think, so you don't even have time to do that? Like I went to the dentist a couple weeks ago and they told me that I'm uh, my back molars show signs that I'm grinding and it's starting mm. to pull the bone away from my teeth, which means that I could start losing right. mo more of my teeth in the back because of this. But I wear a mouth guard, but mm. it's a really old mouth guard that I I've kind of chewed down. Okay, and so, need a new one. <laughs> so I need to just make a new one. It probably takes me seven minutes to make a new mouth guard. Wait, what? How? Well, Is I use the old school ones where... I, I used from football as a kid. Oh. You just you just boil a plastic okay. mouth guard and then you put it in your mouth and okay. then it it molds to your mouth. There's a okay. there's an art form to it. Like you, it's hard to get it right. But, but you have the experience. But I've done it and I mess up sometimes. But you know, I usually manage. But and it's sitting right behind you, Berto. The, oh the, no, the the mouth guard blank. And you know, I was putting that in my mouth earlier. I don't want to lose my molars, and I yet have had 
<laughs> no I just time. haven't had, it's been two weeks. I haven't had yeah. any time in my day because yeah. there's always t- a 10 million other things yeah. that are, and, and, the, and sometimes I just want to sit with my wife and watch TV, you know, so I right. don't want to be constantly doing something productive. <laughs> so, um, so when we were taking those quizzes, and by the way, I would have answered very similar to that other quiz. Yeah. I was thinking, yeah, the, the major impingement on my well-being and happiness is, is, the time, time constraint. Right. And so this research showing that spending time, spending money on time-saving activities are, you know, makes us happier than mm. spending money on material things. So that makes sense. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. And it, it kind of orients my mind a little bit more, you know, like, well, how could I spend money to save even more time maybe? Right. Right. And it helps you double click on your emotional status. God damn it. Duffer Bluff, regarding sex frequency, couples double click on their on their happiness. Sorry. A lot. Couples are happiest at once a month. So regarding sex frequency, couples are happiest at once per month. Tougher bluff. Bluff. Uh although that this seems like it would vary drastically between cup like based on couples. Totally. Longevity and age and all this. But oh. I'm still going to go bluff. I'm going to go like maybe, let's just say twice a month. <laughs> yeah. It, this, this is literally every couple of every age of every sexual okay. orientation. So, yeah, you're right. Bluff on average. Relationship satisfaction peaks at once per week. Once per week. Okay, good. <laughs> but on average, satisfaction doesn't increase if they have sex more often than that. Yeah. Not, like, not that that's bad, but no, it just of sort of it plateaus. But I do think that it like... <laughs> You know, I feel like, as we were just talking about time, I only have so much time in my life. If, you know, when you're younger or starting a relationship or whatever, like, go at it, man. But after a while, I'm like, I don't have to have it all every five minutes. You know, I, yeah. like, I, there's other things I need to be doing with my time. Well, so you're saying you don't have an extra four minutes in the day that you could have sex with your wife? Uh, with, oh, with oh with my wife. Oh, that's different. <laughs> As a joke about longevity of uh, lasting that you either picked up on and riffed on or just completely went over your head and actually no, you just accepted, just accepted, accepted that that's how it long it minutes. takes. Yeah. So, you know. Tougher bluff. When people see faces in everyday objects like clouds or pastries, they tend to see a happy young man. So this doesn't have to do with your happiness. But when when <laughs> no. people see faces, and there's a word for this, uh, it's some sort of cognitive bias. Um check to Lelia or something, but it's when you see a face uh, in a cloud yeah, yeah, yeah. or a patient, uh, when people see a face, okay. they tend to see a happy young man. Tough or bluff? Well, I mean, I'm going to go bluff only be- only because of my own experience. When I see faces in wall patterns, carpets, things, I always see weird monsters, older people, all sorts of stuff. Not happy young men. <laughs> Interesting. It's tough, actually. Oh, when, when asked to identify what they saw, participants thought 75% of the faces were young adults, mm. 91% were male, and most really? and the most frequent emotion was happiness. I, I, I mean, I could have a hypothesis that a lot of times the shapes might not have long hair <laughs> in its shapiness. And also, I could theorize that maybe we just, you know, it, it, spotting a, a smiling mouth might be something we are very tuned to or something but still i'm, I'm a little surprised based on yeah. my own experience yeah it is kind of weird because obviously we'd be attuned to danger emotions like someone that's angry or someone that's sad yeah right? but the, what's funny about that is that the caricature of anger isn't really at all what it looks like when someone's angry yeah 
But still, that... Oh, I mean, and uh, mouth-wise. The eyebrows, yes. Yeah. You know? But when they're asking people, yeah. they're just like, what emotion? Just just blank, yeah. open-ended. Like, what emotion yeah, do you see? They're like, happiness. Happy, yeah. Not just blank or, yeah. or whatever. Yeah, that is so And no 91% experience. of the time, they're like, I see a male. Yeah. Which is, and a, and a young male, 75% is a young person. Why do you think that is? Uh, like I said, I think that the male part might be because it's easier to see like a circle with some detail inside than to see a circle with detail inside and a frame of something that looks like hair. Just statistically, I bet you that there's more circles out there without a frame. <laughs> and then as far as the happiness, yeah, again, I'm just saying like, you know, a little slanty line. It just has to be slightly slanty for us to be like, yeah, they're kind of smiling. But it could also be something about, a, it could be a religious implication too, you know, like they- Jesus. Jesus or God or something smiling yeah. down. Yeah. Um, and another speculation is that the young adult male is the default human, you know, because of the privilege that sure. we have in our society. Sure. When you think of a human being, like, and they've, there's a lot of studies around this, people think of a man. Yeah. Uh, because that is what our culture talks about. We talk about men. And then when uh, when we're talking about humans, we're mainly talking about men. When we're talking about the power structure, we're mainly talking about men. And then when we're talking about women, we have to designate them as sure. women. It's like, you know, you have soccer and then you have women's soccer. Right. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. Tougher bluff. Telling a happy story makes people feel closer to you than telling a sad story. Tougher bluff. Mm. I'm going to go bluff on this one. I'm going to say you actually, you know, this is one of the uh, the um, presentation techniques that they teach you is try to tell a story that's that's real, as real as possible, but what that will elicit emotion. And of course you can tell a happy one, but I feel like the sad one might grip people a little bit more. So if I'm telling someone a happy story, they might feel feelings of jealousy or of like, well, okay, well, cool, but not everyone had a good time or something. But if I tell them a sad story, they'll feel a combination of shot and fraud where it's lucky they weren't the ones to suffer and empathy. Yeah, that w that's the assumption. And I'd have to look more into the method, but it's actually tough. You're wrong oh, in that I'm wrong. Uh, telling a happy story according to this study, <laughs> made people feel closer to you than telling a sad story. And I've been doing it wrong all my life. <laughs> but I would also say that uh, there's a lot of at least anecdotal experience and a lot of wisdom that points to the direction of if you want to bond, if two people are going to bond by yeah. both telling a sad story, yeah. a, a meaningful, difficult story, it reveals vulnerability and, and, right. and that you trust the other person, you can relate to, you know. It, everyone knows that one person in their life that is constantly talking about positive things, and it, it's just hard to get close to those people, hard to relate to them. That's true. At the same time, as I think about my, my relationship with my friends, especially people I don't see that frequently, like in Colombia and things like that, it is true that most of the stories we, we tell are like positive, fond memories we have together. Yeah. Or they'll be telling me about things that happened when I wasn't there. But generally, it's fun stuff. And now that I think about it, if we were all just like, and then this other terrible thing happened, yeah. <laughs> that might be a bummer. Yeah, I guess it just really depend, <laughs> depends on the, on, and, and, that, and when you think, and when you put it in that context, if you just code every moment <laughs> where someone is telling a story in yeah. a relationship, then yeah, if most of the time you're saying depressing <laughs> stories, then you're an Eeyore. I'm going to do that. I'm going to be like, hey, how's it going? Wow, let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's negative. 
Tuffer, Eeyore, yeah. Tuffer Bluff. We tend to accurately identify screams of pain, fear, anger, frustration, surprise, but not happiness, which gets interpreted as fear instead. Tougher bluff. Screams? So yeah, we tend to oh, accurately identify yeah. in the lab when they when they show, you know, people screaming in pain or screaming in fear, screaming in anger, screaming in frustration, screaming in surprise, or screaming with happiness. They identify everything pretty well except, except for happiness. screams of, you know, outbursts of happiness, like ha ha, you know, or, or whatever. Um yeah. and these things tend to get interpreted as I'm gonna fear. go tough on that because the I I, I think it's just not that common for people to scream in happiness. Well, yeah, it's tempting to focus on that, but you'd have to hear, which I hadn't. Okay. The uh, They took from movies. So mm. these are people acting sure. happy. Sure. So they're not like, don't think of the word scream because sure. you, you would never think of someone screaming. Well, but I'm even thinking happy. of like a pretty woman when she goes to reach for the thing and the lid closes and she goes, ah! Right. You know? So think about Or those. Amadeus when he goes, ah! Yeah. This is the same sound effect in all the movies. Yeah. So you're saying, yeah, it is tough. Participants listen to screams from movies intended to correctly identify all emotions, but misinterpreted happiness as fear. Yeah. Which is, you know, kind of weird when you think about it, right? But I could see it because, you know, I'm thinking of like a child. When you are playing peekaboo with a child or doing something surprising with a child, part of what they're feeling is fear. It's mm-hmm. just a, a uh, careful guided fear you know it's like mm-hmm. you're safe but it's a little scary right you know it's and a controlled I, fear. so when they're like ah! <laughs> yeah which is the same sound effect that emma does yeah i mean I, I would wonder about this because because just hearing the lab research study involved just listening to probably just like a second of audio and you would hear a second of someone in surprise right like like oh and it, it just seems like it'd be hard to delineate between surprise and fear, but somehow people tended to accurately identify except for happiness. So I, I guess I'd really just have to hear what what that was. And also maybe happiness isn't one of those things that tends to be exclaimed in a, in a short burst of vocalization, you know? Yeah. Um, and they probably didn't include laughter because that's pretty obvious. Right. right. Anyway, I don't know. That's just kind of a weird one. <laughs> uh, left. People are more happy if they perceive their income, education, and occupation to be better than others. Tougher bluff. So regardless of how much income, how yep. much education, yep. and how good their job is, as long as they think of themselves as better yep. than others, they are happy. Yeah, yeah. It's tough sadly but i do believe it's tough because i think there's there's just like this weird advantage as an animal to make sure you're the one not getting caught by the by the hyena so as long as i'm running slightly faster than the other deer then i'm safe and it sucks it sucks for poor bob you know bob the deer was a great deer but i'm just slightly faster and i'm not the fastest deer out there but i'm still alive and so that thing um i think it's sadly tough yeah, it is tough, and it's shown in societal trends that are pretty obvious to see. Like, you go to a, a country, a community in the world that is suffering from a lot of poverty and a lot of disadvantage, where they don't even have fresh water, for example. Right. And you'll see, and you'll ask people how happy they are. There's a lot of people that are totally happy. You, you give that situation to a community in the, in the United States where they don't, and there are people in the United States who don't have access to yeah. fresh water right now, drinking water. 
they will talk about 24-7 misery. Yeah. And so it it's all about, you know, relativism, relative, yeah. which is interesting to think about, right? Because the people who might have it all, right? They have all the money and all the safety and all the privilege and the health care and everyone loves them and they have a lot of things to entertain themselves. But their themselves. yacht's not the largest in the, in the bay. But compared to... So it almost makes you want to make sure you're always living in a neighborhood in which you're the, you're the richest house <laughs> in the block, regardless of what uh, uh, income you have, you know what I mean? Or change your outlook about humanity. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know what I mean. You just move. You move into some. <laughs> you move into so some bad. slum, and you just like. That's right. I'm, just get I'm this, living it up. You just get this giant mansion. You know what <laughs> oh I mean? Oh my gosh! You're just like, I have it all. And then they know? all break into your house, and you're like, Oh wait. <laughs> yeah, that's discrimination. Uh, yeah, it's tough. The researchers found that people with higher subjective socioeconomic status reported higher levels of subjective well-being. This relationship was stronger than the connection between people's objective socioeconomic status and well-being. The researchers also found that the effect of social comparison was stronger in areas with higher population density, possibly owing to a greater competition for resources yeah. in more densely populated areas. Well, I could totally see that. You can imagine you live out in a farm with a, you know, a reasonable size land and sure joey over there has three more acres but it's far and you're mostly day-to-day -day just busy with your cows and your things whereas instead you live like several apartments side by side and every day you see what comes in and out and who what they're talking about yeah right yeah let's take a break when we get back let's do more of these what do you say let's do it All right, we're back from the break. Tougher bluff, Birdo. Mortgages or credit card debt reduce happiness, but student debt doesn't reduce happiness. Hmm, whoa. That seems odd, considering how much people gripe about student debt. So I'm going to go bluff. All debt reduces happiness. No, interesting. It is bluff, but it's the opposite in that student loans, according to this really large U.S. study, I actually looked, because it sounded very weird to me that... Because you would think student loan debt would cause less decrease in happiness because you You're know getting what, education. Yeah, it's an investment, right? Whereas a mortgage and credit card debt, we all understand, especially credit card. Credit card, especially. Because yeah. the mortgage, at least you could be like, well, I got a, a house. Or yeah, and you have equity, yeah. right? Like if you, In a car loan, you could at least be like, well, this is the thing I'm driving. Right. But a credit card just but, sits there. Yeah, credit card, it's usually just little things yeah. that you... You know, couldn't afford the in the account. moment, you know what I mean? And, and it, it, you, credit card debt usually really hangs over your head. Stu it seems like mortgage and student loan would be in that same category yep. where it's, you know, it's like an investment. But for whatever reason, they found that student loans reduce happiness the most and mortgages and credit cards don't reduce happiness at all. Uh, which again, large U.S. study, 2021, pretty good methodology. That's so interesting. Yeah, pretty, pretty weird. And so uh, this is on average, of course, but I wonder what was going on there. Hmm. You know, I could see there being some confounds, like if you were looking at a lot of younger people, because people who have student loans tend to be younger on average, probably, right? Yeah. And if you're younger, you probably haven't been able to put your student loan or your your degree to good use yet. So you're probably still right. kind of... And, and student loans can be... Huge. Uh, can be, yeah, they could be yeah. enormously oppressive. I mean, you could have right? a student loan of like... Two hundred thousand dollars. I mean, I, I had a. I, we we actually gave a scholarship to a student that had a student loan of two hundred fifty thousand oh dollars, and she found out the hard way, which she Ooh. didn't know prior, 
that at least at the time the government caps you out at $250,000. Oh my gosh. So she thought she was going to get another check from the loan mm-hmm. department to pay for uh, tuition the next month. And she found out that she wasn't going to get any money. And so she was going to have to drop out of her doctorate program. Oh my God. And, and our scholarship actually gave her the ability to last longer. That's and, crazy. And, and she was pretty close to graduation. but Well, because I think the the student loans are more way more abstract. You You're giving all this money and, you know, of course, you're getting the education, and in theory, that means you're going to get the job that, in theory, is going to help you pay down the thing. That's a lot of levels of abstraction. Right. As opposed to, like, where did this money go? Oh, yeah, I'm driving in it. Or, where is? oh, I'm living in it. That's the roof over my head. Right. The credit card, I could see, but still, maybe because credit cards are just, like, everyone's got one, everyone's got it. Maybe it's more normal. or And I know everyone's got, or a lot of people have student loans, but still... I, you know, the other thing with the credit card is usually you did buy things. <laughs> so you're like, well, I mean, I did go to dinner. Yeah. Or yeah. I did get that broom I, yeah. that I needed. Yeah. But yeah. It, it's still surprising, though. Yeah, it is. It is interesting. Um, I wonder if you actually looked more in detail if you found that in the lifespan, because, well, the other thing here is, again, this is averages. And there are a fair amount of people who go into tremendous student debt for a degree and they never use the degree or the degree never makes them much money. And, and that would be pretty miserable. <laughs> really bad. You know, like yeah. you, you can imagine seven years after graduation yeah. and you had a, a bachelor or, or a master's in something that you might have been passionate right. about. But you didn't really think about looking into how lucrative how money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so you're like. Well, the memory of all that knowledge and experience <laughs> is starting to fade, but the, the interest the interest is still building. Yeah. And, and so that's, you know, because I have seen that a lot. I have seen mm-hmm. a fair amount of people who get really wrapped up in academia. Right. And because there's not a lot of stop gaps. There's not a lot of people who will say, well, wait, 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 wait. So you understand that this degree <laughs> Although you're into it and everyone around you is into it, your professors are into it, there is a chance that this degree post-graduation will literally get you no money. (laughs) And if that, you know, like a a master's in fine arts degree, you know, it's not usual that you're going to become a professional poet, for example, right? And so most people understand that going into it. But, you know, I've I've, I've met people who they get into it and they just figure, well, you know, something will work out or they just even... They just even, they're not oriented that way. Well, you're not even thinking about it because the plan is laid out before you unquestionably. Like, you go to high school, if you're going to college, you're going to college. Right. And you're paying for it, and you're getting a degree. And then you're getting a job. Education is always a good idea, right? Right. And it's like, no. (laughs) Some degrees are basically just like... Fun if you want to do it and have the money. Yeah, it's basically (laughs) like edutainment. Yeah. You like learning, which is great, but... There's like a, a doctor's degree or a lawyer's degree. <laughs> yeah. By the way, it's very telling. You remember There's no such the, thing as a doctor's degree. You mean a medical degree. Oh, whatever, Mr. Doctor. <laughs> so you remember the movie The Firm with Tom Cruise? Uh, yeah. Okay. So it's very telling in that movie. He does movie, a lot of running in that movie. Yes. A lot, he always does a lot of running. Yeah, yeah. In that movie, he joins this law firm. And one of the main perks they offer him right off the bat is they pay off his student loans. Mm. And it's presented as like, 
by the way, and he's so happy in that yeah, scene. Yeah, golly. <laughs> Especially a lawyer, right? Like a big yeah. time lawyer from a big university. That must have been expensive. Yeah, yeah. And there are programs for therapists along those lines if you work in a particular community like uh, um, Northwest. What was that one TV show called? North by Northwest. No, the TV show. <laughs> um, the movie with Cary Grant. No, the, the TV uh, show. Northern Exposure. Northern Exposure, yeah. Uh, uh, Joel, wasn't it Dr. Joel? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, By the way, did you see the most recent episode of The Last of Us? Oh, yes. When they run into an old couple in a cabin? Yep. I think that woman was from Northern Exposure. Oh, okay. I think she was the receptionist in Northern Exposure. Oh, interesting. Man, that scene was so funny. So hilarious. I was laughing my ass off. Very good. He's like, you gave him soup? (laughs) Yeah. She's like, yeah, I gave him soup. Yeah. It's like, and then he's like, tell me where we are. And, and you better say the same thing. She says, like, did you lie? No. Are you lying to me now? No. <laughs> God, this is so funny. Yeah, so good. Um, by the way, if we haven't talked about it or we don't get a chance to, the first three episodes of Last of Us, I think, are three of the best things that have ever been made for movies and TV. Those first three episodes, and I'm not a zombie movie person, and I've never played The Last of Us, the video game. I'm not, I don't, I'm not a zombie video game person. Hmm. But those first three episodes were just a chef's kiss. Um, elementary school age children who nap at midday perform better academically, but are not happier. Elementary school age children who nap at midday, so we're talking yeah, even yeah. fourth graders napping at midday, perform better academically, but they are not happier. Interesting. <laughs> I am going to go tough. They do perform better academically. They're more refreshed. Their brain gets a little... But it could, I could almost see it being the inverse. They're happier, although they don't do as well because they're a little foggier when they wake up. But I'm going to stick to my tough. It's bluff. Ah. They, they perform better. They, they do. do. And, and they're, they're happy. And they're happier. Nice. And they have fewer behavioral problems. That's great. Why don't we nap? Because we're an idiot society that doesn't follow the science. It's, it's even worse than that. We made fun of the Mexican siestas. Yeah. Those lazy Mexicans with their siestas. Yeah. Whereas when I grew up in Colombia, when I was little, the generation before me had had they didn't call them siestas, but they had naps, and they went home for lunch, and they had family time for lunch. What a concept! But Berto, that doesn't have any overt benefit to the stock line. Ho- does not go up to the stockholders. <laughs> yeah, setting life goals just out of reach keeps you happier. Tougher bluff. Just out of reach instead of far out of reach. Tough. I think that if you set goals that are too far, you never reach them and then you're unhappy. Oh, sorry. There are three different versions. There's oh. attainable goals, yeah. goals that are just out of reach. Like yeah, yeah. you're trying to lose weight and yeah. you, right. you kind of think, well, I want to lose 20 pounds, but you set your goal at 25 pounds. Right. So you have attainable, which is 15. You right. have unattainable, but just slightly out of reach, 25. And then you have ex- you know very much unattainable. Yeah, I'm going to say I'm gonna say the middle one, uh, slightly uh, Slightly beyond. It's just like a video game. We we're talking about video games. If the video game's too easy, then it's not as rewarding. If mm-hmm. you're always like, ah, there's one more challenge. I can't. Even if you don't get 100% in the video game. That's my, I'm, so I'm going with that. But it's out of reach. It is out of reach. Yeah. You're but never going to be. impossible. Right. So it's bluff. Researchers found that those who felt their goals were more attainable at the beginning of the study reported greater well-being two and four years later. Oh, even, so it's not the middle one. It's, they need to be attainable. Yeah. 
Well, then that might be why I suck at goal setting. <laughs> well, now that doesn't measure if the individuals actually achieved their goals. It just okay. measured how happy they were. How happy they were. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Tougher bluff. Women are better than men at reading happiness in others. If we think of gender as binary women, because that's mm-hmm. usually all the research considers the hmm. gender binary. Women are better than men at reading happiness in others. Well, I want to go bluff on that just because, I mean, I could make some something up about like, well, a mom has to like be quickly attuned to the baby's happiness, maybe, but I'm going to say bluff. Why? Because you seem humans, You seem like upset or yeah, something. Yeah, well, first of all, I think I'm very good at reading people, uh, people's emotions anyways. But I'd say that like, I'd say like humans in general need, need to be highly attuned social animals. And you need to be able to tell in either case how someone's feeling. Right. So I'm going to go bluff. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's bluff. Research has found that women and men are the same when it comes to reading emotions, anger, fear, happiness, and sadness in other people. Except that women are better at reading disgust. Oh, really? Okay, that's surprising. Yeah. (laughs) And it's like, why would that be, do you think? (laughs) I mean, I could, again, make something up like... Like, oh, you know, they were picking the berries. So you need to make sure if someone tastes the berry, they're quickly like, oh, you're disgusted by it. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I could also take a different angle, which is that, again, this is this is the kind of thing that you, you used to poke holes at me about. But I'm just going to say. Well, speculation so, is fine. Speculation. Okay. Putting your flag man, down as I'm this my is the way down. that it is. This is how it is. Then we're going to have the an issue. The monkeys are out hunting, okay? If you're out hunting and you stub your toe and your face makes slight disgusting look, the other monkeys can't stop hunting, so they need to kind of ignore your disgust. Okay. That's a speculation. That's I, you know, it's the way it is. Yeah. Uh, Bluff, although Hillary Clinton supporters were sad after the 2016 election, on average, they returned to baseline happiness after six months. Tougher Bluff. I mean, I would have... I'm surprised it took six months, but I, I, I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt and go tough. I, I, I don't remember us still all in tears or something a long time afterwards. So, you know, I'm going to go tough. It's bluff. For the first time, supporters of the losing candidate did not return to baseline happiness six months after the election. Okay. I said correct it. (laughs) Because, (laughs) one, Trump was particularly, I think... Oh, I forgot about that little detail. (laughs) Aggravating. (laughs) That's Uh, true. Uh, I guess, you know, I was thinking about it, though, because I was thinking about it more in terms of the whole, like, the election was stolen thing. Like, there was some of that at first, like, oh, but she won the popular vote. And technically, Bernie should have been the kid. There was a lot of that. But then, I don't remember, keep going, but you're absolutely right that, including myself, we were... No, I remember (sighs) people being very affected. Some people even triggered their trauma for months after. Fair enough. All right. Uh, Tougher Bluff, research has found that happiness levels remain fixed after the age of 45. <laughs> fixed? On average. That's got to be a bluff. There's no way. There's so much life changes. Then you start decreasing your health. You start, uh, no. You know, like I just talked to, um, so one of my, what is the daughter of, okay, so not my cousin, but the second cousin, because she is like my dad's age. Yeah. Right? Like, what do you call those? Let's let's get into the but detail. What do you call those? I'm curious. Oh, you're, is you're, that a second cousin? <laughs> Wait, so start over? Okay. You know when you have a cousin, but it's actually your dad's cousin? Cousin once removed. Okay. My cousin once removed. First cousin once okay. removed. Her mom just died. Okay. She was 90. She died of old age. Or you could just say your dad's cousin. I mean, that's okay. easier. But the point is, out of all this long story, <laughs> recently she told my aunt, 
that she just wanted to die. And she didn't say it like she didn't have cancer. Well, she was just old and tired. And she said that every day she just didn't have anything to do and she just wanted to die. So I think of that. And I don't, not everyone's like that or anything, but I do think there's no way it stays steady after 45. So what is the graph in your head, do you think? In my mind, it goes. You're happy at first, then you have this steep decline towards your late twenties, and then it starts climbing back up in your in your you know late forties, and then it stabilizes for a while, and then it starts dropping off again after your seventies. Yeah, I would say that's the common wisdom, right? That you are sad throughout your teenage years, yeah. and then once you kind of get into your late twenties, thirties, you get more control over your life and yeah. you're still healthy usually. And so you something get, like that. Yeah. I and then know. and then you get old and and then everything goes to shit and, yeah. and but it is almost the direct opposite really? <laughs> of what you're saying. So uh, and there's a lot of ways of looking at this, but there's been a lot of studies demonstrating that the happiness curve is U shaped, meaning that we start off Me shaped? We we start off fairly happy. Yeah. It decreases starting at age 18. Okay. It's lowest at 45. Oh, my God. So it's the opposite of what you're saying. And then at 50, it increases the rest of our life. Oh, well, there you go. I mean, that's on average. On average. Of course. So why do you think that is? Why do you think? Well, a lot of it has to do with kids. (laughs) Because you would think, you know, having kids, you know, makes you happy. But it's also very difficult Mm -hmm. and it takes a lot of money and time and and stress you're also like those years are the busiest working years of your life generally and you put yourself in the back burner yeah so that's probably why Mm -hmm. yeah but also this stat is a bit of a interesting one where i bet you there's also a weird u-shape depending on which part of the world you're talking about like there must be some communities where this is more true than others uh, like the kind of thing I would imagine is that there are some some places and communities in the world where you have to work nonstop till you basically die, and so you might never have that final you you part, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like in communities where you do and to tend to retire, and you know, maybe. But it is interesting that on average, that yeah. after fifty, even though health decline is frequent and yeah. common, and even though you're still working people tend to work well into their 70s these days that you're getting happier and happier and happier. The other thing is why does everyone have it so wrong? (laughs) You know, because your uh, assumption is what I would think 90% of people assume, right? Well, you also hear us old folk complain a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think if I was just to speculate uh, about the teenage misconception, because we're generally happy throughout, you know, on average throughout, we're, we have some of our happiest years, zero to 18, right? because we don't have any responsibilities on average. Yeah. And this notion that somehow teenagers are inherently unhappy is, I think, born out of perspective from the parents, because right. if you're a parent, they look grumpy. The kids look grumpy. They they don't want to hang out with you anymore. They don't they talk res- back. They talk back. So to you as a parent, your kids are miserable, but they might actually be the same level of happiness. They're just pushing back more. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, That's interesting. Yeah. And another thing I think is it privileges youth. The assumption right. that somehow old people are always miserable that some like how could you possibly get happier as you go into your 60s 70s and, <laughs> and 80s like right. that that's a miserable time of life they aren't they just sitting around complaining about the fact they're not 25 anymore yeah. i mean isn't that what old people do and so uh, there's just a lot of misconception also uh, when we have 
health problems, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're less happy. It might even galvanize our efforts to draw boundaries in ways that we weren't mm. doing before. Yeah. We might be like, well, I can't do that thing anymore, and I never wanted to anyway, and now I have an excuse. <laughs> you know, I got limited years left sure. on this planet. I'll be goddamn if I'm going to spend it doing that one stupid thing that I've been doing all this time. You night. definitely get more selfish with your time as you go, because I, at least I have, and I could see that being sort of common, where you're like, listen... No, I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. So according to statistics, Berto, if we're average, which I don't know if we are, you and I are at the lowest point yes. of our happiness curve. Yeah. We were happier before, <laughs> and we're only going to get happier later. <laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, you know, and I could see that being true. Uh, for me, I think it's circumstantial, but for me, I don't know. I've, I, I, I think I've been pretty happy, pretty consistently happy my whole life, but... I do think that I'm heading into a, if I can configure my life to be more rational when it comes to time, I predict next year I will be a lot better with my time by the end of this year, by the end of 2023, and I will be a lot happier. I'll be more fulfilled. When we look at all this research and I think about my life and I think about being happier, I don't know if I've, I don't know if I've really identified that. You know, I've talked a lot about this time management thing, but I think the one angle is like, well-being, you know, just yeah. a, f a feeling of like, I like the way my life is, which makes me a lot more motivated to get this under control. Yeah. <laughs> Dover Bluff, in the U.S., people were happier 40 years ago. <laughs> Self-reported. Right. Uh, 40 years ago was uh, the 80s. Mm -hmm. 83. I'm going to go bluff, actually, because I have this idyllic, idyllic notion of the 80s. But I bet you it's not. So I'm going to go bluff. Right. Bluff. We're about the same. Although teens are a little happier uh, today and older people are a little less happy today. Okay. Uh, but not by a significant margin. People are generally as happy as they were 40 years ago, which is interesting because you usually think of happiness as always declining over time right. <laughs> and that everything in the past was idyllic. And you would have thought that the older people in the 80s would have been like, oh, no, this isn't as good as the 50s, so I'm really unhappy. Yeah. Now, the pandemic, obviously, there was a decrease during the pandemic yeah. for everybody, for every age and everyone around the earth. But we don't know if that will last. We'll, yeah. Time will tell if that will have a long-lasting effect. I'm guessing that it will, but we'll see. Tover Bluff, having an advanced degree is not associated with greater mental well-being. Oh, actually... Well, so I do know that there's been research about uh, dementia being lower risk if you've had higher education. Mm -hmm. So I'm actually going to... And was this one that it, it is beneficial? Having an advanced degree is not associated with oh, greater... So I'm going to go bluff. I think it is. Uh, tough. It is not. Oh, it isn't. Okay. Yeah. So having there, there's a lot of benefits to having an advanced degree, a graduate degree, or a doctorate degree. And that's a doctorate, Berto, not a doctor degree. <laughs> um, but having greater mental well-being is, is not one of them. Unhappy, unhappy married couples are more likely to gain weight. Tougher bluff. Unhappy, more weight. I'm going to go bluff on that. I, if anything, there might be an inverse correlation. But Why? Meaning like uh, not inverse correlation, but the other way where couples that struggle with their weight might be more unhappy. But I don't think that unhappier couples, um, or at the very least, it might be correlated, but not causational. 
Castle. So I'm I'm still gonna go bluff. Okay, because you know the thought would be that if your marriage isn't going well, you might eat to cope or to pass the time. No, in fact, in fact, because no, because I'm gonna say no, because uh, if it's not going well, you actually need to get in shape because you might need to look for another partner. Right. <laughs> uh, well, the speculation that they have, so it is bluff, but the speculation they have is they found that happier couples in a relationship they eat more together yeah <laughs> and 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 celebrate more with yeah. food you know what i mean and uh, drink <laughs> yeah right um tougher bluff realists are happy which is definitely the case with me <laughs> like yeah. me and my wife it's like whenever we want to have fun date night or something yeah. it's it's definitely a cheat day uh tougher bluff realists are happier than pessimists or optimists realists are happier than either optimists or pessimists. That's interesting. Um, I could see that. I'm going to go tough. My thinking is, okay, certainly a pessimist is always just like, oh, gosh, it's going to just not going to go well. So, And then an optimist could be disappointed often. So, yeah, I'm going to go tough. Yeah, it is tough. Um, there's speculation as to why this is. But, you know, another thing I could say is that you could think of optimists as being maybe a little more let down when their optimism is not met you yeah. know what i mean uh, whereas realists are more satisfied with what actually happens because they're more in line they expect what will probably happen and then right. that thing happens and then they're like yeah that's fine smiling and appearing happy in photos makes you look two years older Tough bluff. two years older <laughs> um hmm. uh, smile uh, i don't know that didn't used to be true for me but maybe now it is I'm going to go bluff. Smiling makes you look younger. It's tough. Smiling and looking really? happy in photos makes people look older. So I'm going to start growling. Which doesn't make a lot of sense. No. But, you know, I told this to my wife and she's like, well, you know, when you smile, you have you more wrinkles. You get more wrinkles in your eyes. Yeah. So who knows? Younger people are more likely to associate happiness with excitement, but older people are more likely to associate happiness with peacefulness. <laughs> I could see that. I'm going to go tough because it's like if you're a kid and you're like, "Hey, you know, are you are you we're doing something?" and to them it's like excitement means we're happy, but to an older person it might be like, "Yeah, things are chill. I'm happy." So, yes, I'm going to go tough. Yeah, absolutely. For the reasons you said. Laughing at yourself makes you happier, tougher bluff. Yeah, tough. Uh, at least this is true for me. Yeah. Having a, a better... You must like, be a really happy person. <laughs> yes. No, but it's true. Like, basically, that's been one of my techniques since I was a little kid. Yeah. That I I am able to use humor. And maybe I also saw people in my family, and, and definitely my dad, using humor uh, as a coping mechanism. Yeah. So. It's tough. Absolutely. There, there are times in my life where I'm struggling with something. You know, like, say, there's a a group of people on the internet that hate me and they're trying to yeah. get rid of my license, that kind of thing. And if I really just stew in the reality of it and the negativity of it, that's one thing. But if I just sort of laugh at myself and be like, well, I don't know, maybe I'm an idiot. Right. <laughs> you know? And maybe, maybe I'll, I'll get canceled and I'll never be a podcaster again. I don't know. And maybe that means I move in with my parents. I don't know. It's just who, I don't know. I, what am I, but a leaf in the wind. And, and it just feels, it's a releasal, you know, you just feel like, right. Why be so tightly wound around a particular outcome? Why can't you just laugh at yourself and say like, well, I guess maybe I'm stupid. Well, and the, the, if you think about the converse, 
you could imagine someone being very unhappy if they're always sweating how everyone perceives them yeah. and what they're saying about them. And I can't think of anyone like that, but you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. Tougher Bluff, friendship variables accounted for 38% of the variance in people's happiness. Friendship variables, so how close sure. you are, how many friends you have, that kind of thing. And what percentage? Accounted for 38% of the variance in people's happiness. Oh, I mean, that's pretty good percentage. Yeah, I'm going to go tough. I, I mean, it might even be higher. I think friendships are important. Mm -hmm. So It's bluff. It is higher. It's as high as 58%. Well, okay. So, yeah. As a, I don't know. I don't like that tougher bluff because 38, 58 is pretty, yeah. pretty close. Yeah. But, but still, it's good. It's a good sign. But I think that what I was getting at with this tougher bluff is like friends, French, friendship is very important, very important, is a very important factor in happiness to the point where almost two thirds of your happiness might be attributable to your friends. Yeah. To your, you know, how many friends you have, the quality of friends you have, how, how, how often you hang out with your friends. When they do all those longevity studies of the blue zones, and one of the most common things is that they're extremely social mm -hmm. and they're, they're also exposed to, to young people, to kids and things like that. Because, uh, you know, they usually live in smaller communities. The old folks are very active. They're outdoors a lot. They interact with each other and with the kids in the neighborhood. And that is associated with longevity. So, and that longevity, part of it is, uh, you know, they feel better about their themselves. They are healthier. All these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So, I totally buy it. Higher education is associated with higher happiness, independent of income. Well, no. I, I mean, from the earlier question, I guess now I'm going to go bluff. Uh, yeah, bluff. It's... Higher education is not associated with overall happiness. It is bluff. You're yeah. right. Tougher bluff. The longer the vacation, the happy you are after the trip. <laughs> this one's so tricky because I've had that where it's like, wow, I got to get back to reality. So I'm going to say bluff. I, I feel like you need shorter vacations. <laughs> well, it's not looking at all vacations. Yeah. It's just like how happy they just took one vacation okay and the variable was the length of the vacation oh, okay so if it's just for that then yes sure tough because it, it took you a long time to decompress and then you finally started being just relaxed and everything so fine tough. right and that is the common wisdom that a lot of people will say but this is bluff ah oh, darn it you tricked me <laughs> that regardless of the length of an, oh, of an individual trip okay the happiness was the same. Oh, so okay. you can take, so if you're trying to increase happiness, okay. uh, and I think this is important to, to note because a lot of times people be, will say like, well, yeah, I could take a four day vacation or a three day road that's trip. That's not enough to relax. But that's not enough to get, to be happy. Yeah. And the data shows on average that that's not true. You can mm. take a two week vacation. And of course there's a lot of other things involved with this, like the decompressing or you, it's hard to take a three-day vacation if right. you're going to Europe, for example. Right. But if you're trying to increase happiness, one of the things you might be focused that you should focus on is trying to have more vacations in your life and not relegating two weeks of vacation once a year. You know huh. what I mean? Interesting. Which I need to follow that advice, yeah. honestly. <laughs> spending money on oneself makes us more happy than spending money on others. Tougher bluff. <laughs> No, I mean, uh, it depends. There are things that I love spending on myself, but I'm going to go bluff. I feel like a lot of times when you do something for someone you love, it's it makes you happier. Exactly, you're right, bluff. During a vacation, we're happier than we were planning the vacation. 
So <laughs> if you contrast when you're planning a vacation versus actually on the vacation, you're happier when uh, uh, during okay. a vacation we're happier yeah, yeah. than when you're actually Okay, planning. for me that's totally tough because planning vacations is stressful. <laughs> there are so many variables. There's so many things, especially when other people are involved. Uh, like I, I just got done planning and I'm only about 80% done planning a trip to Colombia and planning a trip through Orlando to Colombia with another family that's also got kids. And it's, you know, coordinating everything and where we're going to stay and getting the, and now Disney is like so complicated because you got to reserve the days and all these stress, 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 stress. So I, once I'm there, I'm going to relax. <laughs> You're at, you predict complete relaxation at Disneyland? With... Well, I mean, I'm going to be happier is what I mean. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, it's actually rough. It's the opposite. Really? Research shows that we're... <laughs> On average, we're oh happier. So what? So I think what this points, if I was to just take a guess, I would say that uh, the reason why, on average, people are happier planning a vacation than when they're on the vacation, because I would say for me, that's not the case at all. It's right. not the case for you. But I, I wonder if a lot of people are making bad choices with their vacations. Oh, I see. Where they are generally happy as they're thinking about doing X, Y, mm -hmm. and Z. But when they actually enact the vacation it, it wasn't it wasn't thought. well thought out or they were focusing oh. on things that weren't actually going to make them happier interesting uh, it, it's just a guess that i have about that, that could very well be yeah. yeah i just oh my gosh i mean part of it is also i guess you actually are a planner by default mm -hmm. for me i'm not but vacations is something that i have no choice but to do because and maybe this is telling i have to I, I hate badly planned vacations. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going on vacation if it's not. Does your wife plan a lot? No. I mean, sometimes, but I'm real, I'm generally the vacation organizer. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, me too. And I actually really enjoy planning wedding or not wedding. I actually really enjoy planning vacations. I like looking up various different things. I mm -hmm. like going on street view and looking around mm -hmm. and uh, planning things out. I, I don't like things to be rigidly planned, uh -huh. but I've been on enough vacations without having done any pre-planning to know that those kinds of vacations can really suck. Yeah, because, I've, I've same. I've had the same experience. Yeah, because you can get to a location <laughs> and then you're like trying to figure out where to go. You might ask around or something. And then you get back home and other people are like, oh my God, did you go here? And you're like, oh, I didn't, I didn't even know about that. <laughs> well, there's that. There's also actually, the, part of it is that, so I'm I'm pretty good about flying by the seat of my pants and improvising. A lot of people aren't. So I suppose if it was just me going somewhere, maybe I'd be okay. Like, But so many times my vacations involve other people. And my experience has been that every time I didn't put enough time into it, I end up being more stressed during the thing because people are not getting what they thought they were going to do. And then I have to deal with like, oh, well, let's adjust this and that. And a lot of, and, and you know, and so that's more stressful. So mm. yeah, I like planning and I'm happier when I'm on the vacation. <laughs> Crying makes us happier, Tougher Bluff. Well, not in the moment, but I, in my experience, tough. Crying leads to happiness. Mm -hmm. Tough, absolutely. When unhappy people watch TV shows about unhappy people, they become less happy. Tougher Bluff. When unhappy people right. watch TV shows about unhappy people, they become, they become uh, more unhappy. Yeah, yeah. No, bluff. Uh, shot and fraud to the rescue. They, uh, when a human sees another human struggling, you would think they'd be like, oh, God. But uh, sadly, a lot of times they're like, ooh, so lucky I'm not that bad. So, okay. So that's my thing. 
Now, I will say me personally, I empathize a lot when I see someone suffering. But if it's a fictional show, I don't mind as much. Mm-hmm. So if I'm watching the news, it's really depressing. But mm-hmm. if I'm watching like a movie, and so, so I'm going to go bluff. You're right for those reasons. So people out there, let us know what you think about all these things. Because we talk about happiness and then there's a whole debate around like as Americans, we're like hyper focused on happiness. You know, there's a lot of people around cultures around the world that are just like the purpose of life isn't necessarily to constantly be happy. (laughs) Now, what I'll say to that is generally speaking, when we're using the term happiness in this episode, we're talking about well-being and the absence of struggle and suffering, which again is also another thing that some cultures will say, like you can't avoid that as much as Americans want to. And, And certainly we can have a conversation about that. So yeah, but generally speaking, you know, humans are trying to move away from pain and fear and discomfort and towards relaxation and joy and connection and satisfaction and well-being. And it's true for, I mean, it's just homeostasis is literally uh, entropy. <laughs> it's 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 a, a universal dictum. Like, we are trying to move you to call a, me? a state of balance. What'd you call me? Dictum? <laughs> You're a dictum. So, so yeah, I... Uh, But when I think about all this in this episode, I personally am like, of course, I think about happiness a lot and I'm trying to attain a good situation for myself. But doing this episode with you, Berto, has highlighted certain things that I wasn't focusing on as much as I should have and wasn't really paying attention. Even the vacation bit, right? Yeah. Like, (laughs) I'm like, because I don't, if I follow my own advice here, I would go on a three-day vacation every month, right. for example. But that's not my mode, you know? Yeah. And, uh, but I should, right? Like, even, like, you and I, and with our families, too, like, we should, we could do little burst things, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Little bursties. Little we bursties. We have to have, like, okay, monumental, once-in-a-lifetime thing. Right. Yeah, there's plenty of things around Seattle, yeah. road trip sort of stuff, yeah. you know, uh, bring the dogs. And I'd example. say you and I used to do more of that yeah. when we were younger and had less responsibilities. Right. <laughs> yeah. But I also think it's a mindset because yeah. I think you get to a certain age and you just lock in on your responsibilities. Right. You just yeah. get real locked in on, okay, work, take care of the kids, clean the house, pay the bills, get shit done. And at least for you and I, when we were younger, we either had the luxury or the time, the space or the priorities of just like, hey, I matter. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I want to do things just for me. That's right. And what do I need? And yeah, it is interesting. And of course, you know, there's some practicality to it, of course, but I don't know. It is, it's, I don't think I had realized how much I had slipped into, I think, a pretty unhappy oriented way of thinking and a way of living. Really, and mm. I think the pandemic really just established that you know the yeah. just the rel- unrelenting nature of the pandemic, and I also think that post pandemic or you know post vaccine, I was mainly focused on what I was deprived of during the pandemic, mm. going out, eating out, uh, spending time with people, um, that sort of stuff, instead of being more holistic about like okay. Yeah, going out to restaurants was something that was important to me that I missed during the pandemic. But if that's all I focus on, you know, and not on 
all the other aspects of life, like having a rational time schedule, having yeah. a good workout routine, having more vacations, essentially everything that work interferes with, I guess. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that is it for that episode. Everyone out there, be attuned to your happiness and take care of yourself because you deserve it. <laughs>